Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we have got a treat today. He is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, a multiple pro bowler. He's so good, he even threw a pass to himself. <laughs> this generation simply knows him as Big Bad Brad. It's Brad Johnson. Brad, welcome to the show. I appreciate y'all having me on, reaching out to me and Big fan of you guys, so thank you very much. I know we'll have some fun on here and tell some stories and maybe a few lies too, but we'll just have fun with it. <laughs> That's okay. You know? Yeah, so. well, this, this is a no all lies on, uh, Brad. Uh, you know, I, I'm, we're really happy to have you on. You know, when I mentioned John, you know, that, that I had an opportunity to, to, to get you on here. He's man, let's go for it. You know, we, we've yeah. had Wade Boggs on, baseball player during baseball season, so we figured it apropos that we get get a – Get a Super Bowl winning, and not only Super Bowl winning, but my Buccaneer winning. That's right. That's so, right. That's man, right. You, you, you had some magical years there. But tell us about Big Bad Brad when Big Bad Brad was starting out in, in school. You, you're quite an athlete, from what I've read and researched on on you, uh, both yes, football, sir. both football and basketball. And uh, basketball was basketball one of your the favorite sports that you, you thought you were going to go farther in or what? It really was. I, I I grew up as a basketball nut. I never missed uh, playing basketball from my second grade all the way through my freshman year of college. And it was my love. I mean, I played it every day. I wanted to be like Larry Bird and be like Chris Mullen. And I mean, I just, you know, I loved hoops. I watched it on TV. I went to games. I played it, had six different keys to different gyms and just grew up a basketball fan. And uh, going through high school, I couldn't decide what sport I wanted to play, high, uh, basketball, football. And, I was a better basketball player than football player. And, uh, but I kind of knew my, my potential had kind of reached its peak in basketball, but I did, uh, I went on to Florida state to play on a football scholarship, but I actually walked on and played two years of basketball at Florida state. And, well, uh, but yeah. this whole, go ahead. Great. And basketball and, and, and in high school, you had some competition there being the best basketball. I understand that another Brad was, was yeah. also at your school too. Big Brad, Brad Doherty. Yeah, Brad Doherty. <laughs> yeah, wow, yeah. what competition that had to be. You guys had to just wipe everybody out. <laughs> yeah, Brad was, he was, uh, he's, he's a few years older than me. Um, Brad Doherty, he was an All-American coming out of our high school, Owen High School. We had the same high school coach, Bill Burroughs, and then the coach before him was Roy Williams, who just right. retired as the all of, you know, the Hall of Famer basketball coach in North Carolina. But our school is a basketball school, and I played against Brad a bunch in the uh, Brad Doherty in the in the um, in the springs and summer ball and pickup games and he dunked on my head quite a few times. He's a seven footer. I couldn't guard him and he kind of showed me <laughs> what the next level was. But he set the tone for what um, he was an All American, McDonald's All American at that time in the eighties. That was a big deal. Right. And and so he got his jersey retired and 
to get your jersey retired out of high school, you had to be an All-American. And so every day I'd jump rope or I was in the gym shooting and I'd always see his name, name plate and his jersey up on the wall. And, you know, I'd kind of want to be like him uh, in our in our hometown and put Black Mountain on the map and those kind of things. And um, I mean, he was a hero, a hero of mine, All-American Owen, All-American uh, University of North Carolina for the Tar Heels, and then uh, played in the NBA for a while for the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers. So, you know, I felt if he can make it coming out of Black Mountain, I can make it too. I just had to choose uh, – I had to choose football, but uh, the big bad Brad thing has been kind of crazy, to be honest with you. You see the hat on right now. Right. I, um, the family, the kids during the pandemic, um, there was nothing to do. <laughs> we actually had we had we actually had great family time. I mean, dinners and uh, prayer time and workout time and you name it. We spent a lot of time together. But the kids, they were on this thing called TikTok. And now everybody's on it. And at the time they were making dance videos and I couldn't dance with them. I didn't have the coordination that, that they had. But, um, but as I, as I looked on TikTok, a lot of guys were making these crazy trick shots and hit a basketball with a hammer and the length of the court or doing whatever they're doing. They make like a trick shot. So obviously for me, I was like, you know, I'm going to try to make some shots. So I didn't dress up an outfit or go out there with a hammer, but I, my thing was to try to make uh, three, four, maybe five shots in a row and maybe spin the ball on my finger and make it or over the backboard or bounce it off some crazy, crazy shot. And then, then throw a football the length of the court, and make it. And I've done a bunch of uh, doinks. Like I call it corner pocket, second pole. And we, you're in the corner of the end zone. You throw it around the first pole and hits the second pole, hit five in a row. And I call some of those Picasso's, you know, <laughs> they were hard to do, but, but I, I found out I was having, I was making a lot of exercise. I was having fun doing it. And so I posted a lot of these things on TikTok, and then, and then obviously we I, I partnered up with uh, with Bill Murdoch with Beyond All Borders, and then because um, I always wear the hat, it's like super. When I wear the hat, it's like Superman putting on his on his cape, <laughs> and it's like sometimes I can't even make these shots or do these videos. Sometimes they take seven and a half to ten hours to make some of these videos. Everybody thinks it's first time, first take, but they do take a little bit of work. And uh, but I've had enjoyment. But we came up with all this apparel. Um, it's called it's off of CafePress.com backslash. Big Bad Brad 14, and basically you go on there and you can buy mugs, hats, T-shirts, whatever, and all the money goes to the charity called Beyond All Borders, right. which which helps uh, people that they're in uh, Buncombe County, Asheville, Asheville, Western North Carolina, is where everything goes back to. That's that's the charity I'm kind of partnering up with the Big Bad Brad stuff. So I wear the hat everywhere I go. I have fun with it. It's crazy now, like you know, most people would recognize you. Like you know, I'm, I'm 54. Okay, I'm 54. My prime is. It's way back. It's, I, I think I, I retired 15 years ago. But um, when I walk down the street sometimes or, you know, everybody's all right. <laughs> they're celebrating. Let's go or whatever it may be. And going to the, going to see my kids that, you know, they play football at Texas A&M now and uh, different fans will see me and they recognize, you know, the hat or recognize me. And they get more. They ask me more about the trick shots than they actually do of my playing career. So it's kind of funny. Do you ever yep. just want to tell people you had like four or five thousand, four or five, three thousand yard passing season, a four thousand yard passing season, <laughs> two time All Pro, and people just know you as Bad Brad, the the kids today. Yeah. Are like, you know, I really did have a career before I became a TikTok star. Yeah, uh, you know, times have changed. People, there. <laughs> that was a guy a long time ago. I think that's when Gail Sayers or Brian Piccolo <laughs> used to play. Those guys. I'm just, a, I'm a name of the past. But Big Red Brad's kind of given, the, it's taken off a life of its own. And uh, so I just well, got to roll think with it's the punches. Awesome. Yeah. I, I got yeah. so much fun today watching the Big Bad Brad videos. I watched them all morning yeah. uh, because of, we were, you were coming on the show. They're they're awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're so much. They're, they're you, yeah. you can't you can't quit watching them. It's like Game of Thrones or something. You just you watch them. <laughs> them. It's a rabbit hole when you start watching all those kind of things. It's um, and honestly, when you when you see the trick shots, like when it really goes in, and I celebrate and like it's. That stuff is for real. Like I am celebrating, like it's a, a Super Bowl winning <laughs> touchdown pass. Like it, it. You know, people say the, the question they always ask is how long does it take? And sometimes I'll say it's first time, first take, which is true. Sometimes I'll say it takes what it takes, which is you know ten hours. Wow. <laughs> and then and then sometimes and the other, but the truth of it is, is I will always say it's a lifetime of practice because those are what I did back in second grade all the way through yeah. my whole playing career. So. Um, it, those shots are hard um, to do them. My whole thing is to do them in sequence, not just a one, one trick shot, but to do like three, four, five in a row of whatever it may be. 
And the funny thing about it, to be honest with you, a lot of times it's just me, a basketball or football, and a tripod with a camera on top of it. So <laughs> I'm out there just entertaining this tripod and camera. But when I celebrate, I feel like there's 100,000 people watching. And, <laughs> and it's true, it, it is true jubilation, to be honest with you. So um, it's a great exercise. It's great fun. And then hopefully share it with everybody else like, you, like you've got to see it too. We had an old wrestler, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, who's Kurt, Wade Boggs is a good friend. Wade Wade was the one who inducted him into the WWE Hall of Fame, who used to do that as, as well. Did you get any inspiration? Because I heard that you didn't uh, from from Kurt Henning and, and what he used to do. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like <clears throat> sometimes you just think you're the king of the hill when you start doing this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then people say, "Yeah, you remind me of Mr. Perfect." And so going back, I and I actually said, you know, I googled up Mr. Perfect, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Because he would he'd go out there and you know, do some kind of pool shot or bowling or football throw or whatever it may be. So it it does probably reminisce a lot of the things that he did back in the '80s and I guess early '90s with Mr. Perfect. You know, it could never go wrong those kind of things. So. Well, I know well, he had Brad, fun with it, so. <laughs> Brad, Brad, just to let you know, it took him sometimes 10 hours to make <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. Did. <laughs> it's yeah. longer. You, know? you may have not used the power of edit. This was professional wrestling. We edited yeah. everything. <laughs> and they probably they probably had a half dozen cameras out for him. Trying to make it right. Yeah. You, you go with a tripod in your, in your iPhone. Here. No <laughs> doubt about it. I mean, my battery time, I had to get a new phone because the battery time got too much. And then those things are crazy. Like sometimes you're out there in the heat and then it, the, 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 it's too hot. And then the phone shuts yeah. off dead. I'm just kind of getting a rhythm or I had six videos. that got down to 1% on the phone. Wow. Like, can yeah. you make it or not? Or it had to come back the next day. So, uh, yep. Mr. Perfect. It, it does take some, at least the shots were real. There was no fake about it. The shots did happen. It just took some take multiple shots. You know, we have we have a commonality other other than uh, Kurt Henning, but uh, Ron Simmons was my uh, tag team partner for years. My best friend, best man at my wedding. He was uh, in Georgia also, and everybody thought he'd go to Georgia because his brother went there. He went up going down to Florida State because of Bobby Bowden. He loved Bobby Bowden. I always yep. talked about him like a father figure. How did, did was Bobby <laughs> Bowden the big reason that you wanted to go to Florida State? You know, it, it's just a long story, but um, actually back in the 80s when Ron Simmons played, uh, we had a family friend named Scott Warren who was on that same team, went to the Orange Bowl with him, uh, war number 80. And uh, we were friends with him, so I kind of – that was, I was a basketball nut, but that was the only football team that I kept up with. I was And Ron Simmons, he was the name of Florida State. Uh, Bobby Bowden, Ron Simmons. It was like that. And that was right when the, the program was just beginning. Like it was a – it was an all-girls school in the 80s. They started getting better and better. And, and then when I got there in 87, they you know had all the recruits and all the players to do it. But um, I, I didn't know what sport I wanted to really play. I actually wanted to play basketball for, for uh, Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech is what I wanted to do. And I went on my recruiting trip there. And um, Bobby Crimmins said, Brad, you got a scholarship here at Georgia Tech, but I only play five guys. And there's another guy that I'm bringing in also. His name is Dennis Scott. He's an All-American, and I uh, ended up having 11 years in the NBA. Uh, great three-point shooter. He said, "Brad, if he comes, you're, you're, you'll you'll play on the bench." <laughs> but but he, but he was real about it, and I appreciate him um, because he said, "Brad, what sport do you think you're better at, and what sport do you want to play?" I said, "I want to play basketball, but I think I'm better at football." And he says, "Coach Crim's like, you know, Brad, you need to do what's best for your career." So he really kind of pushed me to the edge of saying, "Brad, you need to play football," and so. I, I took my visit to Florida State and Bobby Bowden, um, just a first-class guy, first-class program. Um, and I, when I went there, I said, would I want to play for him? And if I went to Florida State, I said, what if it never worked out for me? What if I got injured? What if I never played? Would I be – would I want to call this my school? And to be honest with you, it kind of all happened. <laughs> I mean, I only played – only started six or seven games there. But after my career was over um, – end up living. I got my, my wife was, it's Mark Ricks, uh, who's my QB coach at Florida state, his sister. And he hooked me, he, he benches me at Florida state, but hooks me up with his sister. So it is funny how that works out, but just all the that respect had to in the world. For a good Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just, it's funny how that happens. But just, I remember I had so much respect for him, coach Mark Rick and Bobby Bowden. And even though my career didn't go the way I wanted to, maybe at my time wasn't ready, but 
And I, I tell you, one of the coolest days I was I ever saw with Bobby Bowden was um, they they named the field is in uh, 2013. They named the field Bobby Bowden Field. When they did on that particular day, there was about 400 players that showed up, and we were lined up from the uh, from the goalpost all the way out to midfield. And Coach Bowden and his wife Ann they walked out, and then he threw the the he threw the spear in the ground like you know. Renegade and Osceola coming out there and, and starting the, the kickoff, you know, those kind of things. But but I remember as players, we weren't talking about um, the, his national championships or his 360-odd games that he won. We were talking about really kind of who he was, how first class he was, um, and how he impacted our lives because, you know, a lot of us have went on to become fathers. A lot of us went on to become coaches or people in our community, just the way he ran things. And I don't think you'll find too many – schools like that at that time or coaches like that uh who, who bobby bowden was it's pretty cool i mean he honestly like i know i'm long-winded here but i remember when he was uh when i went to school there he he recruited me in 1986 to come there in 87 and after he gave his spiel at my house he said brad you got any questions for me and i asked a couple questions they say i said yeah i said are you gonna play best player like you know some high school hot shot you know they say, yeah we play best player brad and then I said, well, how much longer do you think you're going to coach? Because he was older at the time. I think he was like 63. <laughs> you know? You didn't know <laughs> so that he, you weren't that case. He, had just, he had just started. <laughs> he just beginning. It was just beginning. And so he had 165 wins or something at that time. And I remember for his 200th win, he called a special meeting. And uh, usually we met like at 1.30 every day. He, called, he said, hey, be there at 1 o'clock. And I told my roommate, Gene Happ, I said, Gene, I, Coach Bow, I got a feeling he's going to retire. I feel like he, he had his 200th win. That was unbelievable at that time. And uh, instead, he gave his testimony that day. And so I just don't think you find many coaches, you know, that really would take away time from football, especially of times of today, to do something like that. And then um, so he, he went on to coach for another 20 years and then <laughs> went another 175 ball games. Wow. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Ron told the story when he came to his house that, uh, you know, he had, he had a traditional old Southern meal. And he said, Bobby Bowden sat down with us and sopped biscuits with us. And I, yeah. I think that sold Ron on uh, Florida State more than anything else was the fact that Bobby Bowden was just a, a normal good man. He was. He, he When he came to our visit, our high school coach, he just said, hey, do you mind speaking at our sports banquet? He said, okay, I'll speak at the sports banquet. Like, just on the spot now, that's illegal as I'll be recruiting. So, uh, but, but it worked out, and he, he was the keynote speaker. Didn't even know he's, what he signed up for when he came on my visit. But he was that guy and um, had a great, great um, – I, th I think he just always thought of him as first class, you know, and he's yeah. always going to do the right thing and just – you know, I remember uh, he loved playing golf and loved speaking at different banquets and just pretty, pretty cool person, you know. Speaking of football now, you have two sons uh, that are currently playing football for Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher, which is a former Florida State uh, uh, football coach also. How, how did that relationship with your boys and, they, uh, and Jimbo come about? Was Yeah, I met um... – I met Jimbo in 1989. Uh, 1989. He was actually the offense coordinator at Sanford for his uh, coach Bowden's son, Terry Bowden. They were uh, Stanford. That, that's where Bowden Sanford. started. That's in Alabama, right? Little school. Yep, now. Sanford. S-A-M. Sanford, Alabama. And um, and so they would come. We would do the bowl practice. He, they would come down there and just watch practice. We'd be in meetings. And I remember one day I wasn't playing. I was I was a backup. So. Jimbo and I like, what are you doing all day? And so I said, well, I'm, I'm probably going to go shoot basketball. So we actually went to a park, play one-on-one -on -one basketball and play horse <laughs> in the afternoon yeah. bowl practice. So had a, had a, you know, kind of struck up a friendship there. And then um, later he became the head coach at Florida State. And I took uh, my sons, Max and Jake, to visit him at Florida State. And he offered them scholarships there and, and those kind of things. And then um, – and just kind of kept up with him through the years. It wasn't just a – I didn't have a personal relationship with him as far as calling him on the phone, but it's more respect and, and just because of Florida State kind of thing. So we knew each other through the years. And he'd offer both of them at Texas A&M. And, and uh, Max, my oldest son, he actually went to LSU first and then transferred uh, this past year to uh, A&M. And then my younger son came too. So uh, a lot of respect for him. And they're having a rough year this year, but yes, I know they'll get back on track, you know. Yeah, Was he any good at horse? What's that? Was he any good at horse? 
He has a short-term memory. <laughs> My problem yeah. was I couldn't spell horse. After I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah, forgot Jerry, all. Jerry, Jerry has to play cat. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Jimbo uh, forgot all five letters I put on him, so he don't, he don't remember the loss, but I sure remember the win. Yeah, something, something that we all remember to college athletics, athletics is we all went through that recruiting process. Now, you went through it like several uh, a decade or so before your sons did. Did you notice that the, the recruiting process had changed a lot and how, how, how had it changed? Yeah, completely, completely different process. Um, back in the day, we didn't have social media. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Instagram. You didn't have direct access to coaches or did they for you? So a lot of your film was on VHS tapes and they'd want to see your highlight tapes and you'd have to get somehow you'd have to organize a VHS. Mine, mine was smoke signals, by the way. Smoke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your coach was, you know, if you were six, three, he was telling you, saying you're six, five, if you weighed two twenty, he'd say you weighed two forty five, yeah. just to get the, the college coaches to come visit you. That was the only way they did it. And, and, you know, that now I have things through um, Twitter and social media. And, but back in the day, they would have handwritten letters. Like, I don't know last time a, a kid now has had handwritten letters, you know, and, and the difference then was, you you know, a highlight tape. You would never have a highlight ta tape of yourself. Like that was like, you just bragging on yourself. You know what I mean? And now in, in seventh and eighth grade, you have highlight tapes with music wow. behind it. And you're totally. blaring it out there and tweeting it out there. And it's, you want to win, but you want those highlights to show off yourself. It's, it's an interesting process, you know? And, and so, but now you have to go to all these, you're going to all these camps and the office. It used to be you play football, baseball, basketball, three sports or two sports or track. Now you've almost a lot of kids in high school, it's not really fair to a lot of kids because they don't have time. They kind of overlap so much and they keep up. Your summers are so busy that really you only you, – very rarely we ever find a kid that plays three sports. Some will play two, not as many, and you almost become specialized in one. And but the recruiting process now it's it's nationwide. And for us players going to schools now, you know who's on the roster. We didn't know who were on the rosters. We're just like kind of tell you, I'll go to that school, coach, and now you kind of visit campus and those kind of things. So completely changed. Um, it works out somehow for kids, and uh, but it's, it's really become more of a um, me 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 process than it used to be. Now, now you play two sports uh, nowadays, as you see, it's become so specialized. I know. I, and, uh, you know, a minor sport like, like wrestling in high school, you know, there's good football players out there. We got heavier weights in, in, in wrestling, as you know. And so you can try to recruit some of those football kids and football coaches are shaking their head telling them, hey, if you want to be a football player, you got to be here for football. To me, it, it kind of loses some of that high school fun, that high school experience that you get where you get to play all three sports. I mean, Probably all three, all three of us did three sports when we were in high school. I, know I did track wrestling and football, but uh, you know, nowadays it's very, as you said, it's very rare. And to me, that takes a little bit away from the high school kid, uh, just the total experience of high school. Did did your boys? Did you push your boys in several different sports or what? Uh, going through middle school, they played uh, football, baseball, basketball. Then they kind of got tired of baseball. They played basketball, but uh, my younger son, Jake, he got hurt, so kind of took him away from football. And then Max, my oldest, he was kind of just wanted to play football, didn't love basketball as much. But the, I'll be honest with you, I really think, you know, the coaches, they say, yeah, we like multiple sport kids in high school. But I don't think the coaches, I'll be flat out honest, I don't think they work together very well. If your season's going too long, the basketball coach, he, season's going too long, and then you miss and they hold it against you, then – you go through the season, you kind of – they want you to lift on game days. You may be doing a 450-pound you know, squat on game day of basketball. Then you get to summer, like you have all the summer workouts, the football, basketball, and then some do baseball. But then you can't go to the the, the college campuses where you got to go get your – hopefully be seen by the colleges and be recruited and hopefully get an offer. So I, I really think athletic directors should step in and, um, and make – you know, when certain kids like in the summertime, you know, you, you know, let give them an opportunity to play both sports, but don't penalize them if they're not able to make it to double practices or just to have a working relationship, make it, make those high school coaches work together and have more 
kids play more multiple sports and, and those kind of things. So it, it's tough. Every coach wants them to play multiple sports, but they're not, yeah. they're not, I don't think they're as true as they say they are sometimes, yeah, to be honest I, with you. I've always thought a multiple sport kid was a tougher, was a better athlete. You know, I remember, you know, playing football. When you find out a, a kid was a wrestler, you hated to go against him because you knew he knew leverage. You know, and and so right. it, it it helped a lot of athletes, I think, to to play basketball, help their footwork, help the the football players to wrestle because it taught them leverage, it taught them all kinds of hand to hand skills. I mean, don't you think that it's uh, it, it's a little bit of a detriment to that athlete that they're not playing multiple sports, that they're focusing so much just on one? I do. I think you're taking away from the kids' high school experience. You know, if you're a wrestler now, like if you're a football player, you may have to cut 25 pounds. And then you're trying to gain it back for football season. But I think all those things matter. I think um, playing multiple sports, it helps you uh, train different muscles. It helps you deal with different situations in basketball, like timeouts, uh, time on the clock, out-of-bounds play, man-to-man, zone, how are we going to attack it, leadership skills, Maybe you're the best player in one sport. Maybe you're not in the other sport. And how to be a leader, how to be a follower. Um, and I do think all those sports, they do translate. And I think, um, I think when, you ask, when you actually ask the, the guys that made it to the pro level, whatever sport it may be, then they usually say, yeah, I played multiple sports. And it, it did have a big impact on me. And then what I miss also, to be honest with you, like I'm just about basketball nut, but like, you know, I, I don't drive by parks and see guys playing shirts and skins and just straight up pick up ball and just, right. you know, what's the score? Like, who's keeping score, guys? Like, just, you know, let's organize this thing and let's play. You just knew to show up at five o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to play the dark and play and then, you know, work out. And I, I think, I think those things are missed. And, you know, how many kids have a, a, a goal in their backyard and shooting and just making, you know, we're going to play baseball. We're just going to, we don't have bases. We'll, can't play no we can play we'll, we'll get a frisbee and we'll step on the frisbee i i don't know just come up with games become creative in your mind and i think yeah. all those kind of things matter to become better players better athletes and you know those better leaders too yeah each each sport has a, has a separate skill set i mean i were family wrestlers here in my family but when my kids when i had boys one of the first things i did when they were old enough i went and got a basketball and a gold and put my foot because that, that hand and eye coordination, you know, dribbling the ball and trying to get a shot off, you know, to me that that's part of that's part of your training for any sport is just getting that coordination down. I think that's what's missed in a lot of it, uh, you know, nowadays. No doubt about it. And, I, I, and the other thing, I feel like we always need to, we got to go get a trainer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, like, just go play, go play, yeah, just go <laughs> yeah. play. Yeah, yeah and, and I do. Yeah, I, I do believe the trainers and those people make each other better. But, like, you know, I don't think each parent should be paying $75 for every workout. Like, yeah. go do some push-ups. Go do some – Go do some. yeah, yeah look at know. the legends that came out of Rutgers Park. You know, Dr. J came out of Rutgers Park. You know, I mean, that, that yeah. was some, some of the best street ball ever. And you had a bunch of NBA players come out. That was some incredible times that, that came out of there. And, like, when we got a trainer in the WWE, I said, guys, ice is for beer. Don't be going to the trainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Brad, he's, well, serious, you, he's serious about that too, <laughs> Brad, you ended up uh, in a while around the internet, and it's got to be right because it's on the internet. Uh, 63rd all-time in career passing, uh, ahead of Troy Aikman and the great Warren Moon. But when you were at Minnesota uh, behind Warren Moon, did you ever think at that time that uh, you'd never get an opportunity? You know, you were a third-team quarterback. You got this great quarterback who played in the Canadian Football League, set all these records. You weren't getting a lot of opportunity. Did you ever? You got that opportunity later, and you end up winning a Super Bowl, becoming two-time All-Pro. Did you ever question yourself at that time, thinking, "I'm not sure I'm ever going to get a chance"? All the above, all the above, and I think it comes down to a matter of timing, matter of work, uh, those kind of things. Kind of going back to the original story, I played basketball. I was a basketball nut, and I was kind of a late bloomer in football, to be honest with you. I only started six or seven games in college and I was a ninth round draft pick. Uh, they don't have, they only have six or seven rounds now. Like, you know, <laughs> so, but I remember, you know, I always, I always tell the story of my dad, you know, all the lessons I learned from him. And one of them was, he always said, it's better to be prepared and not have an opportunity than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. And so that, you know, you never know when your moment's coming. So I'm a ninth round draft pick. I'm not going to get a chance to play. Like it's going to take something it's going to take the starter not playing good. It's going to take the starter getting hurt. 
it's going to take something weird to happen. As a backup, you can just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe you're not grinding. You just kind of show up on Sunday mornings and on game day. Like, you don't wake up that true energy, but you never know when that moment's coming. So that story my dad told me was to be ready. My first – I played 17 years in the NFL. My first two years, I didn't get a snap in practice. Not my first teams, I'm talking scout team too, because the number two guy would get those reps. So I'm throwing on my days off, I'm throwing into a net or throwing to equipment managers or those kind of things. And then finally I got my chance to play and I was ready for when that moment came. But it takes you gotta have a lucky bounce here and there and those kind of things. But you can lose, you can and I always ask the question too, um, it's like why do you play? You know? And and so for me is you know, I'm not getting any reps. I'm not getting game time. Like, how, what are you, how, what are you doing to get better? It's the, and to me, it took me a long time to figure it out. It, it's calling that play in the huddle of like Axe, Double Axe, Spirit, Larry, 735 H pump and, 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 you know, making the mic call and, and taking the snap from Ernie Center and looking a guy off and, and threading thread a, a dig route behind him and giving a high five and then, you know, scoring a touchdown pass and then celebrating with everybody. Those, those are the reasons why you play. And uh, so, my dog's barking in the back, but uh, we'll, we'll get that straightened out. But, but yeah, opportunity is a big deal. And I had pictures of Warren Moon on my, on my, um, on my, on my wall as a little kid. You know those kind of things. And next thing you know, you're rubbing shoulders with him. It was pretty cool. What did you think about Warren Moon? You know, he was to me, he's kind of like Dr. J. We mentioned earlier. You know, Dr. J. played so much of his time in the ABA, and all that great film, unfortunately, was lost. The uh, the Dr. J. that we saw was probably not as good as the Dr. J that played in the ABA. And the Dr. J we saw was one of the goats. Warren Moon's yep. kind of the same. He played all those great years in the, the Canadian Football League, then comes to the NFL. What did you think about Warren when you saw him in person and get to see him play quarterback? When he was in uh, playing for the Houston Oilers, we played against him one time. And, uh, and I just remember, like, good gravy. Like, everything I thought I saw on TV was real. Like, it's a, it's a beautiful spiral now. It comes out. He was a strong, had big, broad shoulders, played, I don't know, he played his 45 years old. You know what I mean? Like, him is incredible. And I remember we played a game. Uh, the game, he's, we, he, he came to Minnesota. I was backing him up, and we're playing the uh, New Orleans Saints. And it was just a bad game. I think we were down 10 to 7 or, or 13 to 7, something like that. And the ball was on the 10-yard line. And we caught a timeout. It was like 12 seconds to go, the last play of the game. And he comes over the sidelines, and, and I remember two things happened. One, he asked the, the equipment manager, his name is Dennis Ryan. He's, you know, and the coaches over here trying to figure out, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be all-out blitz? Is it going to be man-to-man? Is it going to be zone? What protection do we need? What kind of play? Who's our personnel? And Warren, he says, he says two things. He said, I need some Vaseline. His lips were chapped, you know. <laughs> so he's putting Vaseline on his lips. And then the other thing he would always do, he would always take a file. He was always filing his nail on his on his index finger because he would kind of dig that finger into the ball and when he'd throw the ball you could hear like a like a click come off of it. like it was unbelievable and so he asked for vaseline for his lips he asked for a file for his finger and when he did that i just went and sat on the bench i said something great's getting ready to happen and we called him to play uh, uh double right option right dig he threw a corner pass to quadrational for the game-winning touchdown pass and but he was spectacular he could throw the ball hall of fame Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame guy. Uh, he really made a big impact on me because I was a younger player. He's an older player. Uh, got along great. And uh, when he got hurt, uh, and, you know, I, what I learned from him was, like, how to deal with the media, how to deal with the play caller, how to deal with the, all the prima donnas at, re, at receivers and <laughs> all those kind of things. Uh, oh, come on. Receivers yeah, and prima donnas? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, they are. They are. They are. But, you know, how to deal with throwing touchdowns, how to deal with throwing interceptions and losing, too. He was just, he was great with the media and those kind of things. And, but I remember, you know, when I took over for him, he got hurt. And so I, I kind of, I took the spot and then he ended up moving to another uh, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, I think. But he, uh, the way he treated me during that time handled me was later in my career, I got replaced by a younger player. And just kind of the way that, the way he dealt with me is the way I dealt with a younger player also uh, during that time. So just a lot of respect for Warren Moon. That's cool. When, when, 
we one of the commonality we have is the World League, uh, World League American football. When when you went to the World League, they realized you were a great quarterback. When I went there, they realized I should probably be a wrestler. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's two different outcomes <laughs> from it. Was it was it your idea? Of course, the World League. I played in the original World League where they had it. Uh, Mike Riley was our coach. Jason Garrett was our quarterback. Uh, yeah, San Antonio. But then they disbanded and they started up the World League again, which was the second iteration. Was it your idea to go to the World League during the, I guess, your off season to play, or did Minnesota yeah. encourage you to go down there? Yeah, it was the first league that league came back. They'd been uh, extinct for three or four years, and so I was like, I'm backing up. I had, I mean, I'm not getting snaps in games. I'm getting some in practice. I feel good about it, but I got to, I got to play because I didn't play much in college either. The blessing for me was I knew the system in Minnesota, so it wasn't like I had to. Um, I, you had to go to, I played for London Monarchs and learn their system. But when I came back, um, I knew the system already in Minnesota. So that was a blessing as far as the, the learning curve goes. But yeah, I went over there, uh, played 10 games, uh, got to make plays, got to make mistakes, uh, got to lead the team. And it was the boldest move that I'd ever made in my career because I could go over there and, and fail and then not get to come back and play for my NFL team where they pay you a lot more money. Um, that's what, you know, we just, we barely had enough money over there in London for beer. You know what I mean? So it was, uh, it, it was, it was tough. It was, it was a bold move by me at that time uh, to take that chance. And, but thankful I did. Yeah. And the, the question of the, the spring leagues, you know, they, they've been around forever and I've always thought there was a void, especially after the Super Bowl. you know, really just have kind of college basketball before March madness, Kentucky Derby and the NBA playoffs and all that. There's really a void there after that been trying to be filled since the USFL. And even before that, why has a spring league not made it? You think? And do you think it could? Because I you know the the Rock, one of me and Jerry's friends, is starting up the XFL, which the WB had before uh, to start back up, and and I've always thought there was a chance that it could be very successful. Yeah, you, you'd hope so. It's just I think it's just so much of I, I don't I don't really know why it's kind of failed. Like the leagues start up and then somehow they they go away, and uh, but it's provided a lot of opportunities for players to keep playing, um, a lot of a lot of jobs for coaches and trainers and those kind of people too. It's just, you know, that kind of experience. But I don't know why it hasn't really, really been successful over time. I know they, there's been four or five of these leagues that started up and they go away. And I feel like when I was there in 95, we were kind of a test tube baby for all the teams now going to London to play and getting that started over there, see if the fans even liked it or the world, the game has come more uh, worldwide. But I don't know why it hasn't been as, as successful in the spring as far as the amount of fans going to the game. Uh, and maybe not the high quality player or the NFL player, but there's still some great players. I've done a lot with uh, at risk kids, you know, low income areas. And what we always use is rugby as our sport because you don't need equipment. You don't need 22 players. You can play five on five. It's like soccer, a beautiful game. You can just, just need a ball and, and some grass. You don't have the infrastructure, say, in the UK, in London, with the high schools playing uh, football and players coming up and really growing up loving the sport by playing the sport. Now, they can watch the American sports, which they, they do love. Do you think a team would end up – well, first of all, do you think a team will end up in London, and do you think it, you'll, you, it will do well in London? Well, over in, over in the UK, I mean, I mean the, the major sports there are, are soccer, which they call their football and cricket. That's what they understand and what they know. They're learned, they're get, kind of becoming more educated as fans of, you know, I remember when we first went over there, they got more excited about a punt, you know, the ball going 45 <laughs> yards in the air than it was actually a touchdown. Like didn't really understand the, everything was like a jumble and too much time in, in between each play. Uh, do I think it's going to happen? I do. I do. I really think there will be a team in London and I, I know we've played games and, you know, all over the world and, and preseason games and now regular season games in Japan, Germany, and you name it. Uh, obviously London would probably be the easiest one right now, but it, it's going to be tough for players to do that because now you're moving your family over there. Uh, the currency, the money currency goes, and then, you know, and players, you're not guaranteed to be on the job on the, you know, to have that. Uh, you, they have transactions every day. So, and then the teams, they work out players all the time, too. So, you know, are they going to have their full year-round off-season programs in London? Or are they going to come back to Jacksonville or whatever, do off-season there, and then go to London? It's really tough on the families. And people don't want to hear that. That's the truth. 
But the NFL, they don't care about that. They're going to wherever the most <laughs> wherever they can sell the most memorabilia and money. That's exactly. what's going to happen. So I do think it's going to happen in time. It's almost like when we wrestling, we wrestle in Canada, we wrestle in the UK, and you know we get taxed our still our full rate with America, but we also get taxed, you know, by performing there. So you, you lose money by being there. So a player may not really want to go to London to play because you're going to take a, a bite out of your income from from being there. Not to mention the exchange rate when it's against you. With at one time pound was two to one. You remember Jerry? We used to go. To, we used to go to London. We <laughs> we couldn't afford to go out anywhere because we right. yeah. the exchange rate was so bad. <laughs> No doubt about it. And in certain cities, they get you get taxed on the certain cities too, just in, right, in the states. Right. But but definitely over, you know, definitely overseas, you're definitely getting double tax and all the above, and and uh, it's tough. And then you got to find apartments and housing and all those kind of things. It's tough. But um, NFL doesn't care about that. Yeah, it just seems like the league is determined to put a team over there. I mean, they draw, you know, we we get to see the best of the best because they go to these shiny new stadiums and they fill them up 50,000, 60,000 people. So the propaganda we're getting here, look, there are full crowds over there. The the, the atmosphere is, is un, unmatched like it is here in the United States. So, yeah, we're going to put a team over there. But like you say, there's so many variables for the players and even for the coaches and teams, you know, it just seems like a real difficult situation. Kind of, kind of, something kind of similar here in Tampa Bay, you know, when they were coming up with that split season, you know, half the season here in Tampa in the United States and that other half up in Montreal, you know, there's Montreal tax, there's city Montreal tax, there's Quebec uh, uh, Providence tax. And then, then you got your Canadian tax and you got your U S tax. And then the educational system was swapping your kids out half a year and all that. It just seemed like to me, wow, why did he even propose it something like this? But I could see the NFL, you know, you know their attitude and their and their and their arrogance that, that they're they're so worldwide now because of the merchandise itself. But there's a reason that merchandise because it's different what they're selling over there now. But I don't know if they had an actual had a team there. If every week it would be that sixty thousand people in, in the stands there. So I don't know if I don't know if they could make it there. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to say because you don't have people that grow up playing it. You know, that's what I always thought was you know you don't like any town in America. A kid grows up throwing a football, or pretty much, or you see kids throwing the football. You see kids going to middle school and playing football, high school and playing football, and then a certain group goes to the local college. The college has a football team, and you know you don't have that there. So it's 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 to me, it's a, I don't know if the novelty would would wear off uh, over time. Brad, you you had uh, one of the guys that I uh, see on TV that everybody talks. <laughs> there's never never been a bad word said about Tony Dungy. He just seems like the nicest human being that's walking on the planet. When you went to Tampa Bay, was that a big deal that you went with Tony Dungy and he had been with you at, at Minnesota before? Was that one of the reasons that you went down there? It definitely made it a, a smoother transition for me. Um, Tony, you know, it's cool for Tony. Tony actually won a Super Bowl. He played quarterback at the University of Minnesota. He won a Super Bowl as a DB for the Pittsburgh Steelers and then Came, he's a coordinator with us in, in Minnesota Vikings. And I was with him a lot because I was running scout teams. So I was always with him and had that relationship with him. And then when he's in Tampa, I actually played against him a bunch as a quarterback for Minnesota Vikings and Washington. And uh, when I made that move to go to Tampa, you know, I just felt like it was the right fit for me to play for play with, you know, for him as the coach. And then I felt like the team had a chance to be um, really good in time. But Tony was a guy – he could just look at you and you felt like <laughs> he was disciplined. You know what I mean? You just didn't want to do it wrong. You know what I mean? Like if you know, some guys had their shorts on backwards, like, you know, trying to be cool or whatever, he just look at you like <laughs> you need to turn him around real quick. You know what I mean? Or you just didn't want to upset him. He was real, you know, but he let you be yourself too. And, you know, I always, he, uh, you know, I, I think the word he has, he's, he's gold everywhere. He's written great books, bestseller books, and he's kind of very well-rounded person, obviously. And uh, I think the word just respect is the word I think of him uh, at all times. And uh, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame person, Hall of Fame uh, at everything he does. Brad, I saw a great story where right before the Super Bowl, you uh, decided to doctor the balls. But uh, not in an illegal way, so I want to clear that up uh, right away. And you <laughs> actually, like a yeah. Buccaneer current quarterback, as you're talking yeah, yeah, yeah. About. I haven't <laughs> been a back, Buccaneer quarterback has a history of doctoring balls. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
But you told the other quarterback, and the quarterback agreed you didn't want those slick balls. That, so please tell the story. That uh... Golly. I'll try to get to it real quick. Uh, it used to be back in the day, uh, if I were playing you, then you if the home team provided 12 game footballs. But if I didn't, if you didn't like the way I was playing, some people they brand out brand new out of the box. Some people like to work them in. But then so there was a big complaint. So then it became you brought your 12 footballs, we we had our 12 footballs. So it was great. But then there was these things, the kickers started messing up the balls. So you had your 12 footballs, I had my 12 footballs, and then there were 12 kicking balls on the side. They were they were but they can they could not be worked in, but they go in rotation. One after kickoff, one, punt, two, extra point, three. They roll those 12. So, but then for the Super Bowl, what people don't know, there's 108 footballs. Wow. Okay. And so what they do is all the quarterbacks in the past have complained about the balls are brand new. If you go to Dick's Sporting Goods, you get a brand new ball. Like you can't, can't even hold on to it. It's it's just slick. So Rich Gannon was the other quarterback with me, played for the Oakland Raiders. And, and uh, we both knew the balls were going to be slick. We were both worried about it. So we actually did a, uh, a milk commercial on that Monday before the Super Bowl. We're like, God, I wish we could get a hold of the footballs. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't know where they were. So somehow our equipment guys got a hold of 108 balls, okay? So, and I always tip the guys money. Like, in, in baseball, they work the balls in, right? And in tennis, you don't like the ball, you, you get rid of it, get a brand new ball. Hockey, you don't like the puck, get a new puck, right? It's all that. Well, the 108 slick new balls. So – Basically, our our our, uh, our guys got a hold of the footballs. They worked them in. I never saw the balls. I never touched them. And so, even before the game, I I warmed up in a glove. And I did pay the these guys. I wrote them a check. <laughs> I wrote them a check. You wrote them a check, them. Brad. I'd I wrote a check. <laughs> I, yeah, they'll get me now. You know what I mean? So, but <laughs> and so and so, ten years after the Super Bowl, um, I did I did a. a report i said yeah i got i paid to pay some guys off to get the balls worked in you know and so all of a sudden that was when the whole deflate gate thing came out with tom brady and all that kind of stuff and then this reporter wrote that yeah brad he he doctored up the balls and cheated in the game kind of thing <laughs> my holy smoke so then i had about my name was all over good morning america cnn <laughs> i got calls from tokyo about how i cheated and cheated the game and all this kind of thing so I just I feel like I should have been reimbursed by the NFL for doing their job. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and so, but now they take all 108 balls because you only play with the ball. You get one play, and then it goes to a sponsor. Ball number two goes to a different sponsor. Ball number three. So you do that a hundred times. And the last eight balls, they roll through it for plays. Then they give those eight balls away. So, but that's what really went down in the whole thing. My name got plastered. If you're looking me <laughs> up. But, but I was not cheating. I actually did Rich Gannon and myself a favor just to to get the balls worked in. So and you're now they're working. The, the media can overreact on stuff. Oh my gosh! I want to kill every one of them. But you can't. You can't. You can't put out all the fires. And people don't. No, you can't. And if you try, it. it just the fire just keep goes somewhere else. They will never understand how you got to do what's right for the game. No, no, but you did this in, in, in coordination with the Raiders quarterback also, right? He was we had talked, yeah, and I talk, we talked about it on Monday that we could get it done. And then but I'm not gonna call him on Thursday, like, bro, I just paid him. Can you don't split the check? But you're you know you know, I, look, and I'm I, with I, you on this. I'm with you hundred percent. You're using I, the same how, how how do you guys get together? I mean, you know, it's Thursday before the biggest game of your life. I mean, you know, you how do you take the time? How do you escape, you know, the, the media and, and everybody else and do this? Yeah, that's why I wasn't doing it. The, the guys, they, the, the ball guys, they worked them in. But uh, you know, but they they were. But I didn't know actually till the game started that the balls were they were good enough for both teams to throw with. You know what I mean? So it worked out for everybody. I, when it went down, when the media, when the, the story came out ten years later, or whenever it was, I called Rich Gannon first thing and just said, "This is the story." Just like I'm telling you, he had no complaints. He's like, "Brad, I appreciate you doing it." You know what I mean? Don't. There was nothing, <laughs> right. nothing ill between both of us the only only respect you know what i mean what what did you think about the the thing with tom brady not to compare the two but what did you think about the tom brady deflate gate i don't know if the truth really ever came out to be honest with you um i mean the balls do go down in the cold okay they do go down they do check the balls before the game those kind of things i i really don't have a 
I'll be honest with you, I don't have a problem with getting the ball because you you have your the, not the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is 108 balls. But during the regular season, you have your 12 footballs. I have my 12 footballs. And the 12 kicking balls are totally separate. So I think with the way with the balls, if you can hold on to the ball, or I don't think there's a big deal about that. That's that's not cheating to me. That's just having been able to grip the ball from both teams. You get the balls the way you want them. I get the balls the way I want them. I, I, don't, I didn't have a big complaint about that, to be honest with you. I, I really didn't. I didn't think it was either. And I thought the NFL had kind of overreacted based upon past instances. They, they, I think True. it seemed like they kind of wanted to get Tom Brady. Yeah. Were, they, yeah. The, the whole thing about Spygate, now that's a different deal. I think <laughs> right. if that was all true, then, then, then you should be penalized. And they were to a degree, but the whole thing with deflate gate, I really don't have, I did not have a problem with, you know, the ball's been worked in because you're able to do those kind of things. So I don't think that was a big issue. I don't think it had an effect on the game. Brad, Brad, we're talking about Tony Dungy, and, I, and I, I've had the pleasure of meeting Tony Dungy, and one of my biggest thrills I've had was I got to fly from Tampa to New York, and I sat right next to Tony. And, I, man, well, what, what I, I, that first time I really got, had to get a chance to have a, a normal conversation or non-football-related conversation with the guy is, I mean, he, he he walked off the plane. I felt like following him, you know, and praising no, no. the guy. The guy was such such a wonderful guy. But what a personality change you had to adjust to from going from Tony Dungy to John Gruden. I mean, yeah. that, that had to be a hell of a culture change there for a buck. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure it was different for the Colts when they lost Jim Moore to Tony Dungy coming there. Like, yeah. it, and it, it's all different. I think you just you just want to. I think the both of them are great coaches, Tony Dungy and John Gruden. If the comparisons in Tampa and those kind of things, and um, different styles, different approaches, but both you know going to have great schedules for the for the training camp, for practices, for the way you prepare, uh, different tones of, of voice, different things that you say. <laughs> but it comes down to eventually of you know being prepared, blocking, tackling, scoring points, team. All those kind of things, but just a yeah, different mannerisms, completely, completely. But you know, I respected both and wanted to play for both and and call both of them my coach. You know what I mean? So it's it's it's, it's different, but you kind of get used to, to either way. Brad, was it the time in Tampa? Was that where you got to meet uh, Jerry's brother, Jack Briscoe? It was. It was actually um, after the Super Bowl, um, real close with uh, Bill Murdoch up in Asheville, North Carolina. And yeah. he builds um, well connected with all the pro wrestlers and just many people all over the place. And, and at that time it was Joe Evelyn. And uh, we had a few people. We actually, and, and uh, Jack, we all went out to uh, dinner at, uh, at uh, Fleming's there in Tampa and just had a nice evening. And, and I uh, had a great connection with Bill, with, with Bill Murdoch and Jack kind of made all the connection for all of us. And then, Jack, he actually ended up giving me one of his uh, world championship belts. It's pretty, pretty awesome. I got it right next to my Super Bowl uh, trophy back home. But just uh, you could tell, just had a lot of respect for, for, for Jack and who he was. And he was, we had just had a great evening. He was, we're kind of celebrating the Super Bowl at that time. And, and uh, so it's just kind of a cool uh, evening, a lot of respect for each other. But, you know, for him to do what he did all those years of wrestling and traveling and back when there wasn't, you know, tough times, you know, I mean, just, trying to get from arena to arena. It's pretty cool, but we just had a lot of respect for each other. It's pretty, pretty cool. And just to, you know, keep up with his history of what he accomplished in, in the wrestling world is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Jack in Florida wrestling is synonymous. Of course he was NWA champion for the whole world, but uh, Florida was really Jack's uh, yeah. home and everybody in, that had ever been through Florida has had some story about uh, Jack Briscoe. You know, he's like Tony yeah. Dungy. Nothing ever been said about bad about Jack Briscoe. Now Jerry Briscoe's different. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever met Jerry that didn't have some bad story about it. Well, they're, they're, every family has their wild seed, you know. And I, <laughs> Brad, you know, speaking of that, then I I was on the road at the time. I I, I couldn't attend the, the dinner that night. But when I got home, all Jack. I mean, I, it was a week. I I got to go to dinner with Brad Johnson. It was yeah. it was one of the highlights. Here's a world champion, a national champion in college, done, done everything, you know, won every yep. championship that was available to him during during his athletic days. But 
it was a thrill to him because he was we were both we were both such huge Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans, and you you brought the the ultimate prize here to us, and that, that Jack appreciated your athletic ability, but he also talked what kind of person you are, how how generous you were at yep. the time, and just how how courteous you were in the conversation. So you know it was it it it, it I always I always get a thrill when, when I get to meet an athlete outside and just see what kind of person they are. And, uh, and Jack, Jack thought very highly of you, Brad. I'll, I'll always yeah. remember that. So thank you. Yeah. Now, now I was very thankful. And then the cool thing about it, like that night, he asked me more questions about me where like you would have never known his wrestling career. Like he didn't, he just, he was, he was quiet about all of it. You know what I mean? And just very yeah. self-secured himself and but just kind of enjoy the night. And, um, but he, he, the more questions I asked, the more stories he would tell. But it was I had to get that out of him because it wasn't like he was just a, you know, tell all brag kind of thing. Those kind of things. It's more of you asking, then he was grateful with the stories too. Yeah, you had to drag that stuff out of Jack. But speaking of dragging things out of, I understand you when you made uh, the Hall of Fame in the ACC. You never played for the ACC, Brad. Well, yeah, that's, that's actually remarkable. <laughs> And the legend grows. No, you know what? It was interesting. So when I played, when I went to school at Florida State, we were, in football, we were independent. A lot like Notre Dame is in the ACC and football and basketball and football and all the other sports. So we were in the Metro Conference and all the other sports except football. So that was South Carolina, Southern Miss, Tulane, Cincinnati, Memphis State, Virginia Tech, I think with the schools. But so I played two years of basketball. But when I got, I don't think I made, um, I didn't make Hall of Fame. I got recognized. I think that's what it was. But it, it was after the Super Bowl. They needed somebody to represent Florida State at the ACC basketball tournament in uh, Greensboro. So I got, I was the only football player there, but I was with some legends too. At that, uh, being out there uh, with some other basketball players. And, and uh, so it was really cool that Florida State, you know, had me be there at that moment. More about my Super Bowl. Even though I played basketball, I wasn't. I was not that basketball player in college. That's for sure. When when you when you when you were playing basketball, did you have to? Uh, did did uh, Coach Bowden bless you for playing basketball, or was it one of those things where Brad, you know, you're you got a chance to start, or what was it? Yeah, um, great question. So my first year, I got redshirted in football. So I was like, I'm not doing anything in practice. So I said, Coach Bowden, do you mind if I? You told me I could play both sports. He said, Yeah, go ahead, kid. Cause there were like seven quarterbacks at that time. So I wouldn't do anything in football. So that year I went out for basketball and making it up middle of October. And then I actually ended up starting that year uh, for like 13 games. And we played in the, uh, played in the, uh, we made the, um, the final 64, the, the March madness right. tournament. So, but we practiced at that time, college football, we had 20 practices. So because we're in the NCAA tournament, I missed 10 days of football. So I kind of fell a little bit behind. And so then the next year goes on. So I'm playing football. But that year, because I was the holder and all those kind of things, they didn't let me go to basketball right away in October. I really didn't get to start playing basketball until December 1st of January. So then I was late coming into the basketball season. I was out of shape. But we still went to the NCAA tournament. And I missed 10 more practices of spring football. And then Coach Bowden said, Brad, I love you playing both sports. But, but. if you want to be good at if you want to have a chance to start, you better be at practice. And so he gave me a little wisdom. So then I said, I better choose, I better choose one sport, the one I came here to play. And I thought it gave me the most potential to play in football. But Coach Bowen was awesome because there were a lot of players that he let let play multiple sports um, that could work it out. And, and Charlie Ward did later, football and basketball, and Deion Sanders, baseball, football, and track. But we had a lot of multiple guys that did uh, multiple sports. Uh, but he he kind of <laughs> yeah you mentioned kinda... you mentioned Charlie Ward now Charlie yep. Charlie was Heisman Trophy winner I believe and then he went well, on to have a great basketball career for the New York Knicks and several other teams there that that's phenomenal he did told you what kind of athlete he was and and Dion of course we know Dion he he did pretty good in both sports also <laughs> he did he did he played the same day he played this remember he played the same day he played the sport right, yeah. same day in both sports it's absolutely remarkable. He did, and then played like nine years of pro baseball and his football career, and it was pretty incredible. Um, his career, his charisma. Like I was in the locker room with him uh, when primetime was created. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. I was there. Tell us because he's talking about, yeah, basically he was like, because he's getting ready for the draft, but like he's, DBs aren't getting drafted first. The guys who were getting drafted first at that time were quarterbacks, running backs, and left tackles. And so he created, he's like, I got to come up with this persona. And so he came up with the word prime time. Okay. Really? So that was a targeted <laughs> thing that he came up with uh, for the oh, draft. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of it. And so he was, he was one of the hardest workers I was ever around. Uh, he was, he, he really didn't talk trash in practice. He really didn't. Now, when the cameras came on and interviews and those kind of things, you've had, you've heard every quote you can imagine, you know, from the <laughs> Jerry curl to, you know, it's not wet, it's, it's dry, those kind of things, prime time. But like we'd show up on the big games uh, on Saturdays, we'd stay in a hotel and drive to the uh, uh, stay in a hotel. Then they'd drop us off the dorm and then we'd all walk from the dorm on our own to down to the locker room where he would have a limousine. <laughs> from the dorm they drive like 200 oh, yards God. put up in the front he had he had these rings on this ring on this knuckle i said prime this one said time and and so like in the pros he like yeah they make you wear a suit well dion would have three suits one on the bus one on the plane ride to to the city another another suit to the game and then another suit after the game wow. like that was him and so and so when you come into the locker, so you, you have your chair and then your locker's right here with all your helmet and all your equipment. Well, he would take his jersey and put it on the ground. He'd take his pants and take his socks. And he wore all these sweatbands. It'd be out, his sweatbands laid up. So when you looked at him, it looked, it looked like him. And I said, why do you do that? Why do you put all your stuff on the ground? He says, because I like looking at me. <laughs> awesome. so, so then you get all the dvs there you got all these clothes it looks like a real person i'm telling you their jerseys the pants the socks the cleats the sweatbands it's all laid out right there in front of them like like a real person so great charisma uh best to me the best corner that ever played uh the guy that i was quarterbacks would tell you we ain't throwing to him if he did he kind of made you pay the price but uh Great, great player. He had the greatest quote maybe ever. They asked him one time, said, what are you thinking when you were turning a punt? And the only thing between you and the goal line is the kicker. He said, start up the band. <laughs> <laughs> he was just the best. Yeah. He has all he the one-liners, so and it was true. It was true. Brad, well, you, the Alex Honnold, the great rock climber, you know, ended up uh, wanting to climb El Cap his entire life. They did a movie three, free solo about it. So, have you got some like big goal now for Big Bad Brad that you're you're working toward, or some big holy grail that you that you want to do? Well, <laughs> the, the trick shots have gotten harder and harder. Okay, because <laughs> expectations. I'm telling you, I put ten hours and. <laughs> some of those videos now like and it's not you can't do them in one day but I, i've done a few in there I, I, as far as the trick shots i call them picassos that i did uh, one i told you the corner pocket going around the first pole hitting the second pole and i call it doink and i hit five in a row and then there's been some basketball shots that i've done like multiple four or five shots in a row like the hardest part now to be honest with you is like what's next like i don't know if i could do that much more than I've already done. And, but you'll see guys like, like dude, perfect. They'll, they'll fly out of planes and throw a basketball. And, you know what I mean? But they got, they got 200 basketballs in that plane. You know what I mean? And trying to hit a, hit a basketball, go on a farm or something like that. And those kind of things. But, you know, I, I just, I have fun with it. And obviously uh, we made some money here for beyond our borders, the charity with all the big bad Brad apparel and those kind of things. But I'm always looking for the next adventure. If anybody has a trick shot for me, but doing multiple in a row, there's a few of them that I've done. that I don't know if I could uh, ever do them again. Brad, Brad, uh, we all, we're all really good friends with Bill because Bill, Bill is such a charitable guy and he gets you involved in a way that you enjoy right. being involved with it. But tell us a little. I'm headlock on hunger. I'm I'm involved with Bill with uh, with that as his job. Tell us a little bit about Beyond Borders, how, how it operates, and and what what it what it contributes to. Yeah, I think Bill has always just been connected to everyone, everyone wherever he's at. Yeah, and he has a way of getting you involved and yeah. making you feel a part of it, make you feel good about it. You don't feel and like you're being used. With Bill. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You just and and I've done. A, some golf tournaments with him for over 20 years on some other projects and stuff like that. But 
Um, but he started up beyond all borders and it's just helping those that can't help themselves. And if, if there's something charitable, he will find it. He will find a way to help out people. It could be medical supplies. It could be food for kids going to uh, breakfast and lunches for kids at school. It could be um, medical supplies. It could be transportation kind of things. It could be uh, heat and oil for your, for your house, whatever it may be. He finds a way to get it done. And uh, so just thankful for that relationship with him and thankful for the work that he really pours into the community and pours into people and giving back. Brad, I, I can't thank you enough. I know we've taken a ton of your time, uh, but I can't thank you enough. I've been so excited to have you on, especially after watching all your big Brad, Brad videos. So it's, an, yeah. it, it's, it's such a, it's such a great honor to have you on. And thank you for taking, taking so much time with uh, me and uh, my friend, Mr. Briscoe. Yeah, no, it's awesome being part with you guys. I appreciate y'all reaching out. I'm grateful to tell some stories and have a bunch of laughs. So I appreciate you guys. Thank y'all. Yeah, people, Brad, if people want to donate to to uh, Beyond All Borders or that, how how walk us through how they can do that. I wish I could give you the direct information right now. Okay. We have to get something tagged and everything like that. Okay. But it's up in Asheville, North Carolina. And, I'll find and, uh, I'll find a link and I'll put it up on the, tag it, and I'll tag it. Very right. good.